Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's Sunday morning. Time for Your Money and You. Now celebrating over a quarter century of broadcast on KDKA. Sponsored by Heffron Tillotson, a Pittsburgh-based full-service brokerage and investment advisory firm with offices in downtown Pittsburgh, Butler, North Hills, South Hills, and Greensburg. Member of FINRA and SIPC. This program is intended to help you keep up-to-date on matters that affect your savings, investments, taxes, real estate, or anything else related Related to your money. Interaction with callers of the program must not be construed as a broker-customer relationship. My name is Tyler Valeno. I'm a certified financial planner practitioner and a financial advisor with Heffron Tillotson in the South Hills office. Filling in for Jim Meredith today is Kurt Carlson. Over the next two, two hours, Kurt is here to answer your questions. Kurt is a certified financial planner practitioner and executive vice president with Heffron Tillotson and is currently ranked among Barron's top 100 financial advisors in Pennsylvania. Both Kurt and I, and all the advisors in Heffron Tillotson, specialize in investments and financial planning. Good morning, Kurt. Good morning, and uh, welcome to March Madness. We were just talking a little bit about uh, March we Madness, were. and uh, congrats to Loyola Chicago uh, for making it all the way to the Final Four. So I was watching that uh, over the weekend a little bit, as uh, probably most of us were, and I was thinking about this past week, and so we got a lot of March Madness, right? So we got March Madness on the basketball court, but it doesn't seem to be ha confined just to there. It seems to be happening all over. So... This past week has been full of news and events from Facebook to tariffs to rate hikes. Combined together, they've created a certain level of uncertainty, which seems like we have our own March Madness going on in the world right now. So what happens when there's uncertainty? The markets get jittery, and pardon the puns going on, but for the fast-break traders, it often moves them to the sidelines to sit on the bench. Don't be surprised that there's not a quick rebound or further declines in the market this could get worse before it gets better. However, as in the past, pullbacks have always been buying opportunities. So for the long-term investor, this is why we've repeatedly reminded you to have adequate cash reserves as this is not the time to sell. For the second time this year, we're seeing a significant rise in volatility, now still less than the February pullback, uh, the decline, and we've seen declines in the broader markets. For the week, the Dow Jones dropped 1,413 points to close at 23,533 for a decline of about 5.7%. The S&P and the NASDAQ followed suit. They both declined about 6% and 6.5, respectively. Despite a rise in rates, bonds saw their yields remain almost unchanged due to a short-term flight to quality. The 10-year Treasury closed the week at 2.8%, and as our own Tim Davis, our Director of Fixed Income, who's been on the show many times before, has predicted last year, we are even closer to a flattened yield curve. Oil closed at the week uh, 66, uh, up from 62 a week ago, uh, but sort of overshadowed by the volatility in the markets. Newsworthy items this past week were aplenty. President Trump disclosed tariffs on about $60 billion of imports from China, 
under the pretense of years of unfair trade practices and theft of intellectual property, China became sort of the focal point as the U.S. exempted Mexico, Canada, the EU, South Korea, and a few other countries, resulting in steel tariffs basically on China, Russia, and Japan. As expected, China returned the serve with its own list of various imports that could amount to an additional $3 billion of tariffs uh, on the U.S. companies. And besides that, China is threatening a halt altogether of imports on certain agricultural products by adding a political component to the negotiation. In addition, there is some concern that China could use its sizable holdings of U.S. Treasuries as leverage as well. This dangerous game of trade war tennis is now on. Hopefully the two sides can sit down and come to some resolution before it gets ugly. For his first press conference, the new Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, announced an increase in interest rates of a quarter of 1% to somewhere between one5 and 1.75 as part of an estimated three-rate hike year. Most Fed officials anticipate another three increases in 2019 as well. His comments included the balancing act of both timing and the amount of the increase to try to walk the fine line of keeping inflation in check, but also having a curb on an overheating economy. They also increased their outlook for the U.S. GDP to 2.7, up from 2.5%, signaling continued economic growth. Congress passed a $1.3 trillion spending bill to avoid another government shutdown, This will provide funding until October of this year, at which point we will most likely be in the same position again, sort of like Groundhog Day. The House and the Senate each passed the bill within 24 hours of receiving it. I'm somewhat curious to know if anybody even had time to read the bill since it was 2,232 pages long. I'm somewhat curious if they ever have time to read some of those bills when they're I, that long. I know. So, I mean, you get 24 hours, you got it, and, and, and the news media said they're, they're scrambling to read it. I'm Somehow I'm not quite sure. Yeah. And it's, but anyway, uh, I'm sure it was interesting reading. Uh, on the economic side, uh, sales of existing homes came in stronger than expected for February, while sales of new homes declined slightly. Demand for durable goods rose last month to its highest level for the last eight months. And overseas, the EU leaders met to discuss the further details of the UK's Brexit. Economic data announcements this week are going to continue, and they could add uh, to the volatility of the market. So uh, nothing to worry about, but be prepared. Uh, We have Eurozone economic sentiment, the U.S. uh, GDP, U.K. GDP, March consumer confidence and Michigan sentiment, U.S. personal income and spending. Overseas, we've got Japanese retail sales, industrial production and unemployment. Uh, And we also have the Eurozone's ECB economic bulletin, to name a few. So again, quite a few things coming up in the news that could add to what could be another bumpy week this week. And and who knows where it may end up. But again, that's why uh, we have to have a long-term focus. A couple surveys, uh, and uh, one of them was sort of interesting. This was done by the Harris Poll, and uh, they interviewed a number of uh, advisors as well as over 800 investors, and they were asked to identify some of their largest financial concerns over the next 12 months, and investors rated taxes second, tied with protecting assets. Um, And as far as which macro issue would most adversely affect their portfolio in the upcoming months and years, they rated taxes, interestingly, number one, along with global instability. However, when they were asked uh, about if they were going to do anything about it, 
only 28% said, of the, said of, that they would actually seek out professional help for what they thought was one of their biggest worries. So a little inconsistent there. But speaking of taxes, and again, uh, I'm sure a number of you listening today have either done your taxes or are postponing them because uh, you just don't want to deal with it. But a couple interesting notes about the new tax law. Uh, just a, uh, a point of reference, because uh, there was some confusion on the deductibility of interest for home equity lines of credit. Now, in the past, if you had a home equity line of credit, you were allowed to deduct the interest on that, irrespective of what you use the money for, whether it was for college education, to consolidate credit card bills, and it was a very effective means of doing some debt consolidation. Uh, under the new tax rules, um, Initially, the, the thought was that home equity lines of credit interest would not be deductible, but the IRS has clarified some of that and said that there is an exception, and if it is used for uh, to buy, build, or substantially improve the taxpayer's home that secures the loan, that that would be eligible for deductibility. Now, they haven't provided any guidance as to how they're going to keep track of that, because when you borrow the money, how do they know whether you're using it to pay off uh, another loan or to pay for credit cards or to pay for college? Uh, so the, the recommendation is, is that if you do this and it is deductible, please keep very good records because they're going to, at this point, it could be just a potential audit uh, consideration. So you just need to have good records. Hey, Kurt, just a question on that, and, yeah. and, and that's a very good point because I have had quite a few questions on that over the last few weeks. Um, do you know if they mentioned anything about substantially repairing a home, Any anything in uh, that line? I, based upon the interpretation that I've read, that would qualify. So anything okay. that you do to enhance the property, to build it, to add to it, to fix it up, anything that is home-related. Okay. Um, you know, I think you can, and again, it's a little bit of a fine line. They haven't, of course, disclosed all of the breadth of the, uh, the definition, but I think you could argue anything relating to your home, um, you know, is going to be eligible. But we all know many folks use that for a very wide use of uh, items, whether it's you know, college tuition, whether it's uh, you know to buy a car instead of financing it through something else. So, um, so that's been an area that uh, just you know, be careful and make sure you've got good documentation. So you're telling me the IRS was unclear on something? Yes, I'm. Yeah. That would be correct. <laughs> okay, we have to head to a break. Uh, but again, as we do every week, I just want to mention we have two advisors standing off air. If you have questions that you would like to speak off air, this week we have Ari Goldberg and Joe Yezovich. You can reach Ari or Joe by phoning Heffron Tillotson Direct at 412-434-0999. That's 412-434-0999. We'll be right back. It's Your Money and You, sponsored by Heffron Tillotson, celebrating over a quarter of a century of broadcasts exclusively on KDKA. Welcome back to Your Money and You. The phone lines are now open. If you want to dial in, it's 866-391-1020, 866-391-1020. That will connect you with Kurt. If you have any questions about your money or your investments, again, please feel free to give us a call, 866-391-1020. 
And, Kurt, I think you had a, a couple uh, things that you wanted to touch on before we got to the phone lines. Uh, that's correct. And a few more things uh, regarding taxes. Uh, we spent a little bit of time before the break uh, just talking about the uh, mortgage deduction interest. Uh, also, uh, on the charitable contributions, now that the standard deduction has been doubled, and so the um, expectation is that many folks listening who typically did itemized deductions um, going forward, you might use the standard deduction. So the question is, how do you take advantage of your charitable deduction? So a couple ideas uh, given. One is that you can, what they consider bundling. So you could use a donor-advised fund. And so if you think of all of the different charities that you give to during the course of the year, um, and maybe even two years, you can put that money together, put in a donor-advised fund, and from the donor-advised fund, those monies could then go to the very same charities, but you're doing it from a, uh, a single um, unit rather than making separate checks and work with your advisor on that, but that would be considered a donor-advisor fund. Uh, locally, we've got a great one that we work with called the Pittsburgh Foundation, and so you can get more information uh, from calling our folks off the air or even going to the Pittsburgh Foundation website. Also, for those of you who are 70 and a half, don't forget you now have the ability to do what's called a qualified charitable distribution or a QCD, and that allows you to use um, a good portion of your minimum distribution, and you can give that directly to charity and that comes right off the front of your 1040, so it's not an itemized deduction. It comes right off the top, and it goes uh, directly to the charity tax-free. And so that's a very effective way uh, to do that. So think about that. Same thing from bundling You know, for uh, 2018 if it's medical expenses. And if you're trying to do an itemized deduction, maybe this is your last hurrah, you can combine a whole bunch of these things together. You could combine uh, both uh, charitable donations as well as uh, medical expenses to try to do that. So not, we don't always want the tax tail to wag the dog. However, you know, it is being smart about your taxes uh, can be very helpful. Yeah, Kurt, I would just echo that qualified charitable distribution. That is a, a fantastic way to help your tax burden, especially now that they increase the uh, standard deduction. So certainly if, if you're taking, if, if again, you're over 70 and a half, you're taking those distributions, you give money to a charity or your church or something, that's certainly something you, you want to talk to your advisor about because it, it really can help your tax situation. Yeah. And it's very easy. Uh, the money goes, uh, you receive the check, but it's made payable to the charity. And so you can direct it to the right place. And uh, it's very effective. And again, you don't have to worry about an income limitation. You don't have to worry about whether uh, you itemize or not. It comes right off the front of your 1040 as a tax-free distribution. So everyone gets that uh, no matter what level of income that you have. Um, couple other things. Uh, there's some the thought about, and again, speaking of required minimum distributions, uh, there's a conventional wisdom that, well, maybe take it at the end of the year because, you know, theoretically it has more time to grow in the IRA. Uh, not always uh, the best strategy. Uh, some have argued that taking it early in the year is actually the best strategy rather than waiting to the end of the year. And some of the reasons given is, A, it takes the, uh, the stress off of having to worry about it. It's done and it's over with. Uh, oftentimes at the beginning of the year, not always, but you know, we had it this year, we had what they called a January effect where the markets did relatively well. And again, you could uh, take advantage of, a, of an up market in doing that. 
In addition, for those who may be wanting to do Roth conversions, there's an interesting rule uh, that you've got to take your minimum distribution first before you do a Roth conversion. And so, you know, one of those things is to be aware of. And so uh, a number of reasons why you may want to, to do the minimum distribution early in the year rather than waiting. And um, with that, I think... Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go to a quick uh, email question yeah. since we're... we're got about a minute left till the break um the question says i understand that it, it is now possible to use 529 funds to pay for private high school tuition is it possible to make a qualified 529 withdrawal to cover tuition for the current 2017-2018 school year and so that was one of the new parts of the tax bill uh is that now 529s which typically were for college or uh, post high school expenses at accredited uh, colleges, universities, and trade schools. Now you can use up to $10,000 for um, you know high school, private school costs. And so while you may not be able to go retroactive and go back to cover your 2017 year, certainly for the bill for this year, you're able to do that. Uh, I, once again, because this is all new, you want to keep good records uh, because how this ends up working is at some point you may get a random audit and you'll have to prove how those distributions are being handled. If you have the ability with your 529 to pay the bill directly to the school, that's always the best way to do it. That way there's no question about it. It's right. when the money comes to the individual who turns around and reimburses themselves for the bill that they paid, even though that's perfectly fine. Uh, the IRS uh, doesn't always see that connection. So if you can pay the school directly, that would be the best strategy. Yeah, and, th and this really makes 529s a fantastic savings plan for, for tuition. We're coming up against a break. We will be right back. It's Your Money and You, sponsored by Heffron Tillotson, celebrating over a quarter of a century of broadcasts exclusively on KDKA. Welcome back to Your Money and You. And, Kurt, let's go straight to the phone lines. We have a couple questions out there. Let's go with John from Penn Hills. Good morning, John. Good morning. Thank you uh, for taking my call, and I appreciate your show very much. Oh, thank you for the kind uh, words. Sure. I plan to purchase Treasury securities for the first time. There's always some anxiety when I do something that's a little, that's a little bit different. Uh, I plan to purchase new issue bills and notes, and I need some information. I've been comparing bank CD yields and treasury, with, with treasury bills and notes of the same maturity, and uh, I've been looking at uh, the treasurydirect.com, uh, and I understand it's both competitive and non-competitive bidding. If I use non-competitive bidding, am I probably going, going to do better than your average CD rate for, uh, for a specific maturity? Uh, yours is a very good question, and um, it actually was something that was not only brought up in the end of the week's Wall Street Journal, but also in the Barrons over the weekend, is that with the rise in interest rates, they've been um, we've been experiencing better yields in exactly what you're looking at, uh, whether it's money markets, um, treasury bills, and the bank deposits have been very slow to catch up to that, where I think the average one-year CD now at a bank is uh, about 0.49%. But you can go out and buy a money market right now that has virtually daily liquidity at almost 1.5%. And so there's this disconnect that banks are trying to, and they're going to have to be very careful because if they, if their depositors figure out exactly what you're figuring out, 
you know, John, they're going to start losing some of that deposits. And so um, I think what you're doing is very smart. Uh, you don't have to be nervous about it. You're you know, there. Clearly, there's no default issue. You've got uh, the highest credit quality with the with the treasuries. And so, you know, you've got a number of different options. So not only do you have uh, treasuries where you can look to, you know, um, lock up for very short periods of time, but don't also forget, you know, some of the money markets that are out there. Um, whether it's a Fidelity or a Vanguard, you could do the Vanguard money market for 1.5, almost 1.6% uh, with instant liquidity. And it's probably a little easier to even set that up than going online and, and participating in an auction on a T-bill. But you are definitely fishing in the right pond uh, for what you're doing. So uh, you, do, you ought to be commended for that. There was an FOC meeting in March, and uh, uh, you just mentioned in your uh in your, uh, um, uh, your your narrative before the show, that the uh, yields on the twenty treasuries didn't go up; they were they, were, they stayed the same. Uh, yeah, the ten year effect, on, on the ten year. Right. But what effect when the effort when the effort, when the Fed governors they raise interest rates? Is there an immediate effect on uh, on all the, the bills and notes, or there may not be an effect on them? Another good question. So when the Fed raises rates, they only, the only thing that they can control is the very short end of the yield curve. Uh, they're looking at the, the most uh, shortest term liquidity. And this is where we get this potential disconnect because, you know, short term rates, uh, they don't have a direct correlation with the five year, the 10 year, the 30 year. Now, in a normalized setting, um, you would expect that to happen. So if the short-term rate goes from a half a percent to 0.75, then one would logically assume that across all of the yield curve spectrum at every maturity level, it should go up by 0.25. So if the 30-year is yielding 4%, it should go up to 4.25. And so that would be considered what's called a normal yield curve, is that when rates go up, they go up across the board. But the Fed does not control everything uh, outside of the short term. That's controlled by the market. And so you could have a scenario like this past week where you had short-term rates go up uh, with an expectation of more increases, but because of other factors coming in, uh, you've got bond rates at the 10-year essentially flat. And so you've got an interesting uh, scenario happening where at some point something is going to flinch. Uh, you know, is it going to be a scenario where the short-term rates are going to come back down? Is it going to be the 10 and the 30-year going back up? Uh, to where long term they probably should, uh, you know, or will we have, and we've had this a couple times uh, over the last number of decades, it doesn't happen very often, you have what's called an inverted yield curve. And an inverted yield curve is a scenario where short term rates might be, let's say, three and a half percent, and the 10 year is still at 2.8. And it creates this conundrum where people are saying, well, why would I want to lock up my money for 10 years at 2.8 when I can get short-term money, you know, at three and a half? And that usually signals a problem in the market. In the past, 
Uh, there have been scenarios when we've had an inverted yield curve. Um, you know, we've had recessions following that. So we're not at that point yet. And again, we're not even at higher interest rates really across the board yet. Um, but you do pose some good questions as to how interest rates work. So the, the Fed really only controls the short end uh, and the marketplace controls everything else. Is there, is there like timing strategies if I'm buying uh, Treasury bills particularly? Yeah, so if the, if the Fed is raising rates, you know, uh, immediately the, the, you know, the short end is going to go up. So uh, uh, then I should be trying to buy at that time. Is that, does that make sense to you or is there a delay or on that? Well, if you're buying, you know, uh, T-bills and if you're buying, so let's say you're buying a 90-day T-bill um, and you've locked in your rate and, you know, let's just say hypothetically next month rates go up again on that T-bill, you're not going to get that increase. Uh, but now when that T-bill matures and you roll it over and you buy another 90-day, you're going to theoretically get the higher rate. So you just kind of roll them over. Uh, if, you, if you pair with uh, your T-bill uh, a money market, you know, which tends to have a much shorter maturity spectrum uh, fairly quickly after the um, the rates go up, you should expect to see some level of an increase may not be exactly uh, 0.25 because they're still you know underneath inside the mutual fund money market they're rolling their bonds every single day and so slowly over the course of the next you know um, 10, 20, 30 days, you know, they'll be back up to, you know, the new rate. So you want to take a look at all of those. I mean, if, if you're buying, um, let's say, hypothetically, a 1.5% T-bill and you can get 1.5% in a Vanguard money market, you might say, yeah. you know what, uh, and, and, and one's going to increase potentially faster than the other, that may be the way to go. Uh, now, who does a lot of the Treasury bills? Well, you know, for somebody who maybe has a sizable amount of money that they want to have in very safe, liquid, um, you know, an asset base, you know, treasuries make a, um, a very good spot for that. But if you're setting aside some emergency money and you want, you know, quick liquidity, you want to be able to write a check against it, you want to wire money directly to your bank account. Uh, so for that, probably a money market may be better uh, than um, T-bills. Treasury bills are bought at discounts, aren't they? They are, uh, and so they don't get any interest. You get your interest at maturity. Um, so, it, yeah, if I sell those, the, the, it's not a situation when they, when they mature, they, they mature par, and then I got a capital gain, and that's a Schedule D. Uh, no, it's not a capital part? gain. It's ordinary income. Oh, that's, that's still ordinary income. Yes, right. Yeah. Okay. On a, fun, quick one. On a Treasury ladder, if, if I wanted to make, try to take advantage of the, uh, the low end with, with the Treasuries, uh, with, with the Fed, FedGov, Governor's uh, increasing uh, interest rates. Uh, how, how far would you go out on a ladder if you want to take advantage of the of, uh, of rates and going up? I, I mean, you could do you know like a ninety day. You could do you know um, sixty. You know, you could do uh, um, you know for six months, nine months. So you could spread it out, and that way, you know, you're you're as they mature, there's a good chance you might pick up the next uh, interest rate hike, and then just roll it forward. So if you want to do sort of a three-month, six-month, nine-month, split it up into thirds and just let them all roll over, um, you could do something like that. Hey, thank you very much. You give me a lot of information. appreciate right. it. Sure. Thanks for calling. All right, John, thanks for the call. We have to go to a quick break, but again, I do want to mention our, advi mention our advisors off the air. This week we have Ari Goldberg and Joe Yezovich. You can reach Ari or Joe by phoning Heffern Tillotson Direct at 412-434-0999. We'll be right back. 
It's Your Money and You, sponsored by Heffron Tillotson, celebrating over a quarter of a century of broadcasts exclusively on KDKA. Welcome back to Heffron Tillotson's Your Money and You. This week we have Kurt Carlson filling in for Jim Meredith. Um, why don't we go back to the phones and we will go with Joe from Monroeville. Good morning, Joe. Morning. How you doing? Appreciate your program. We are um, good. I, you probably gave the explanation while I was dialing in, but um, talking about an RMD from my IRA to charity, and my my accountant maintains that there's no difference in doing that right out of your your own ordinary income. Uh, well, there is a difference um, if you. Uh, write a check to a charity out of your checking account. The only way That's you exactly get what I'm doing. yeah, the only way you get to take that deduction is if you are eligible for itemized deductions. Uh, I am. Um, now, you know, we mentioned on the show a little bit earlier with the new standard deduction going up and being doubled, that there will be many people this year that will not be able to itemize their deductions. That may have been able to itemize Correct. beforehand. So right. even though you have been itemizing, that, that may not be the case for your 2018 taxes. Right. And so um, if, you, if you're if you able to transfer money directly... I'm talking about 2017. 2017, um, is, you know, there's nothing you can do today for 2017. What's been done is done. Um, and now had you... Uh, no, no. I mean, I did this in 2017. This is all 2017. In other words, this RMD went to a charity. In 2017? My, my, yes. Okay. My accountant said, and I did itemize, and my accountant says that there's no difference than taking it out of your ordinary income. Is there a special form he has to fill out or? So if you made a qualified charitable distribution for 2017 uh, and you're doing your taxes right now, what's important to know is, A, uh, you tell your accountant that you did it because on the 1099 from your IRA provider, there's no place that the IRS has allowed them to make a distinction for that money that went to, straight to charity. Uh, second, on your 1040, the IRS has not expanded the uh, page to allow for that to be itemized, even though it's in the law and you're able to do it. And so let's just say for hypothetically that your minimum distribution in 2017 was $10,000 and you gave $1,000 of that as a charitable contribution directly to the charity. What your accountant's going to do is he's going to or she's going to put 9000 in the box as taxable income, the thousand automatically comes right off the top, um, and you know you only pay tax on the nine. Now, maybe your question is: the accountant says, "Listen, for you, whether it was ten thousand, and then we wrote off the thousand on your itemized deductions, or whether it's nine thousand and you have a thousand less on your itemized deduction, for you last year it was six and one half a dozen of the other." That very well could be the case, but going forward, you know, it may be it may be different. So I don't know. Is that answering your question? Uh, I hope so. Okay. Explain it to my accountant. Yeah. Well, your accountant, um, you know, your accountant needs to know um, how to do that. You know, and if the, and so there's special language that they need to put in certain boxes. If if you would like to, 
why don't you call the folks off the air? Um, we've got some information that we could send to you that you could relate to your accountant if your accountant is unfamiliar on how to uh, report on a qualified charitable distribution. We can provide you with the steps uh, needed that you could give to them. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for the question, Joe. And again, the number off air is 412-434-0999. That's 412-434-0999. And then again, I would say, um, going along with that, you, you probably want to discuss with your accountant if your 2018 taxes, if, if you're going to be able to itemize, and if you're not going to be able to itemize with the changes in the standard deduction, then you certainly want to make the qualified charitable distribution for 2018. So good question. Thank you. Let's go to Douglas now from Philadelphia. Good morning, Douglas. Hey, good morning. My name is Doug Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L, on Google. I'm calling from jail. And my YouTube uploads 8 and 22 as a judge admit he's going to railroad me to jail so no one can hear the tapes of him ask me for... Okay, I'm not quite sure what that was. Uh... So let's go to some dollar bank instant access questions. We apologize for that. Um, the first question is, Kurt, what do you think about the concept of taking money out of your IRA, pay the tax, and take the proceeds to buy paid up by a paid up life policy? Uh, well, there's a, a lot of things in that. So yes. um, I would probably at first be skeptical of taking uh, money out to do that unless there was a specific need. So I think uh doesn't mean it, it doesn't make sense, um, but it seems like there may be a little bit more of a sales component going on rather than a strategy. So, you know, we always have talked about here um, – Heffern Tillerson, we do our master plan process. Uh, we have a financial planning department. We basically uh, believe that through a planning process, that will lead you to the right recommendations because it provides a roadmap. It provides written documentation as to why things make sense. So if this strategy was part of that overall, and again, we're getting a very small bit of your uh, question. If it was part of an overall plan, um, then it could potentially make sense. Um, my sense is, is that it's that's not. And so I would be skeptical of that. I would get a second opinion. I would give our folks a call off the air, schedule a meeting and have them review uh, the strategy that's been proposed to you. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it could potentially make sense if you're in your RMD phase and you have to be taking money out. And that might be a, a good way to transfer money tax-free to the next generation. Um, but if you're not in your RMD phase and you don't need to be taking the money out, then there's certainly a, a lot of other questions, a lot of other follow-up questions that, that need to go with that. Um, so it certainly makes sense to really sit down with someone, like like you said, Kurt, do a, a big financial plan and, and see really why why that's being recommended and what the benefits and, and, and the negatives are. Right. Um, because the other thing is paid up policy. When you do a paid up policy, you're putting in a substantial lump sum of money. Right. Uh, the other thing you're doing is not to get overly technical. You've created uh, um, an adverse uh, um, impact on you ever being able to potentially utilize that policy during your life because it's called um, a modified endowment contract. You need to at least pay it over a seven-year period of time so that you have certain benefits to that. Uh, and if you're going to do a lump sum payment, that means you're probably taking out more than you should. And, and uh, you know, to, to your point, 
you know, there's many times when maybe using part of, let's say, a required minimum distribution to either fund a long-term care policy right. or a life insurance policy for beneficiaries. Or a blend of the two. Or a blend of the two could make a lot of sense, you know, but in something like this, I'm just a little skeptical. Yep. Um, we have another dollar bank instant access question, and this is from Wanda, and she says, my husband and I will both turn 70 this year, and we will start taking withdrawals from our IRAs. Your usual advice is to hold the line, but because of our age, what should we be doing? Should we be holding the line, or should we be getting more conservative? Uh, I, th I think, again, it comes back to really whether or not your required minimum distributions um, are a necessary part of your cash flow. So if you've been taking monies uh, periodically leading up to 70 and a half, even though you haven't, weren't required to, you were doing it because you needed to, uh, then your strategy probably will continue the same way it did before. Um, on the other hand, if up till now you've not uh, needed to take anything out, but now you're forced to, um, it does mean that you've come to uh, maybe a fork in the road. It's uh, it's not the cul-de-sac. It's not the dead end where now it's different. It's just you've got more decisions to make. Right. And you head left, you head right, you keep going straight ahead. Um, you could continue to be fairly uh, growth-oriented if this money is really designed for the next generation. On the flip side, if you think, you know what, uh, we save this money for later, and guess what? Today is later, and we're going to go ahead and enjoy it. Maybe you change your objective. Yeah, and I think that goes back to the question that Jim always asks, what are you investing for? Right. And and again, if you're investing for that next generation, well, maybe it doesn't make sense to get that much more conservative. Um, one thing you could do is think about setting future their years worth or two years worth of distributions in cash or short term short term money markets like we discussed they're they're paying a little bit more now um so maybe it makes sense to get a little bit more conservative on those very close distributions that will be upcoming um but that doesn't mean you need to get your entire portfolio very right. conservative. And real quick, because I know we have to go to break, you know, now you become eligible for qualified charitable distributions, which you weren't before. So it's, so it's, it's that fork in the road that you really need to sit down and, and reevaluate your strategy. Yep. We are coming against a break. Again, I do want to mention our advisors off air. We have Ari Goldberg and Joe Yezovich, and they can be reached at 412-434-0999. If you have any questions you'd like to ask off the airwaves. Well, we've come to the end of our first hour. We ask the callers on the line to please be patient and hang on through the news. They will be first up when we get back. The number in the studio to reserve your spot is 866-391-1020. That's 866-391-1020. That will connect you with us and Kurt to ask your questions. Also, I want to remind people that we have two advisors standing by off-air. This this week, we have Ari Goldberg and Joe Yezovich. You can reach Ari or Joe by phoning Heffron Tillotson Direct, 412-434-0999. Your Money and You is an informational program sponsored by Heffron Tillotson. The information featured is intended solely to further the public's general knowledge of finance and investments. The opinions expressed are based on limited knowledge of specific cases as described by the caller and should not be relied upon for any purpose by any member of the audience. Individual questions of a financial or investment nature should always be referred to your personal financial advisor. 
It's Sunday morning. Time for Your Money and You. Now celebrating over a quarter century of broadcast on KDKA. Sponsored by Heffron Tillotson, a Pittsburgh-based full-service brokerage and investment advisory firm with offices in downtown Pittsburgh, Butler, North Hills, South Hills, and Greensburg. Member of FINRA and SIPC. This program is intended to help you keep up-to-date on matters that affect your savings, investments, taxes, real estate, or anything else related to your money. Interaction with callers of the program must not be construed as a broker-customer relationship. My name is Tyler Valeno. Welcome back to Heffron Tillotson's Your Money and You. This week we have Kirk Carlson sitting in the host chair. We have Marianne Siebert and Patty John in the control booth. Before we get to our Ask the Advisor segment, Heffron Tillotson is pleased to offer a variety of investment seminars throughout the western Pennsylvania area. We have the following upcoming seminars scheduled. Approaching Retirement, Municipal Bonds versus CDs. This seminar is on March 2nd, March 2nd at 4 p.m. at our North Hills office. For more information and to register for these and other seminars, please visit our website at www.heffrin.com or call us toll-free at 888-405-0999. There is no charge for these workshops, but space is limited and reservations are suggested. Now it's time for our Ask the Advisor segment with Jay Simon. Welcome to another edition of Ask the Advisor. My name is Jamie Meredith, and I'm joined this morning by Jay Simon. Jay is a senior vice president and certified financial planning practitioner in Heffron Tillotson's Wexford office. Jay, along with his partners, associate advisor Chris Rogers, Brad Dishart, Fred Clarice, John Mackey, and Ryan Larkin, work as a team within Heffron Tillotson, specializing in retirement management. Good morning, Jay. What are we talking about today? Good morning, Jamie. The title of the segment this morning is Approaching Retirement. Specifically, we're going to suggest four practical action items that our listeners who are approaching retirement within the next several years might want to consider. Well, I know that's a very stressful time for a lot of folks, so so listen up, get your pencils out. Yeah, um, the first action step for, for those approaching retirement is to line up your ducks, create a listing of your assets and liabilities, get a net worth statement on one sheet of paper. As, as this is updated each year, this will provide an eagle's eye of how your retirement will initially look and what assets should be sold, changed, and consolidated to create income. A basic but important first step that a lot of people skip. What's next? Yeah, the, section, the second action point for somebody approaching retirement is to be debt-free by the timer by the time he or she retires. Mm, okay. Cash flow is king. Right. Debt causes stress. Execute a plan to be debt-free at the point of retirement. Jamie, we have never had anybody come back to us and regret <laughs> they paid off all of their debts before they retired. Oh, no, I, that's an excellent point. Best debt is no debt. So once I get that under control. What What's next? Yeah, the third action point is you need to answer the question, if I were to retire today, how much after-tax monthly income would I comfort, comfortably need at retirement? Mm. This is different for everyone. Put some thought and effort into it. But once you've attained that number, then a good financial planner can crunch those numbers for you. And arguably, that's the most important number. You know, wealth is, is uh, not how much you have, but it's how much you spend relative to what you have. So we've got all that wrapped up. 
what's what's yeah. the next step? The fourth action item for those approaching retirement is to visualize what you will do with all of your time. After working an entire career, it is really exciting to retire. The thought of enjoying many activities, hobbies, and honeydews is fun and <laughs> exhilarating. <laughs> However, don't underestimate the, the psychological challenges that may come with having so much time. Be a giver to your family and community. And without the first three, it's hard to do that last one. Absolutely. You need that piece. Yep. So number one's easy. Once I do number one, number two and number three a little more challenging. If I'm a listener out there, how, how can I come to you and help me maybe get that debt under control, help me kind of help uh, put that spending number together? Yeah, I've been with Heffron Tillis since 1992 and really helping hundreds of people retire. So the first step is just set an appointment. We look at the big situation and, and we walk people through the retirement process. A couple years prior to the day, that date would be ideal. Um, I can be reached at the Wexford office uh, with my team, the Simon Group of Heffron Tillotson at 8 Eight eight seven seven four zero nine nine zero, or can email me J Simon letter J S I M O N at Heffron dot com. Well, Jay, as always, great simple practical advice that uh, hopefully our listeners will follow. Thanks a lot, Jay. Thanks for having me. It's Your Money and You, sponsored by Heffron Tillotson, celebrating over a quarter of a century of broadcasts exclusively on KDKA. Welcome back. Welcome back to Heffern Tillotson's Your Money and You. Let's go straight to the phone line, and we have Chuck from Brookline. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning. How are you? We're good. We're doing well. Thank you for calling. Good. I got two questions. First question is, I work for an employer that closed our 403B plan. Okay put us in a 401k and they're telling us that I cannot touch my 403 at all until I'm 59 and a half. Is that correct? Uh, how old are you now? I'm 59. Okay. Um, so the, the company... Uh, is allowed to make a change in how they have their uh, company retirement plan. And so there are certain benefits um, as well as additional behind-the-scenes extra work that happens with a 401k um, that, for whatever reason, the company has decided that they want to make that shift. And so if they're just shifting that from one plan to the next internally, um, it's not unusual that they don't offer you the ability to say, well, here's the 403B, it's frozen, we're going to leave that alone, um, and then you can choose to either A, start brand new in the 401k plan, or you can just transfer the 403B over into the 401k. Uh, so it sounds like what they're doing is they're not offering that choice. And my understanding is that they don't have to. They can just shift one plan to the other and essentially um, you know, have those qualifications in there that you, know, you may be able to borrow from it or you may be able to do something else from it that you couldn't do before under the 403b. Uh, but they're not going to let you just have access to it. So did you have a certain 
plan for that money, or were you hoping that maybe you could do something different with the 403B and then start brand new in the 401K? Well, I was thinking if that 403B is frozen, that I could do something different with it. Now, I did start the 401K, but I thought, that's my money. They didn't put no money into it. Yeah. So um, are they um, asking you um, to move the 403B into the 401K, or are they just for everybody at your company, you're all just starting brand new in the 401K, and the 403, 403B is just sitting there and it's shut down? It's 403 is shut down. Okay. They will not allow you to roll that over. Okay. And they're and, and they're saying that you need to wait until you're fifty nine and a half in order to move the four hundred three B over to an IRA. Correct. Okay. Um, there are there were some changes that were made under the four hundred three B rules. It used to be um, that uh, you know you could go ahead and move a four hundred three B to another four hundred three B that you could just set up. But now uh, there were some changes made to that. So I would say that. Um, you know, you might. Were you told this over the phone, or did you get written verification from them that they're not going to let you roll it over to an IRA? That was included in our brochures. Okay. That they sent us, and somebody in the benefit office at an information meeting told me, "You have to wait until you're fifty-nine and a half." To touch that money. Yeah, uh, they're probably right. Yeah, uh, I know that there's some, been some changes within some of the rollover rules for 403bs, um, and so you know if if they've um, elected to not allow you to do that to 59 and a half, uh, I guess you know probably no harm in just waiting six months, and then once you turn 59 and a half, you can go ahead and and do your rollover if you'd like. Um, but uh, sounds like they've dotted all their I's and crossed their T's. So you might just have to be patient for a couple months. All right. My next question is, I have a defined pension plan, and I just found out that I haven't been receiving any contributions to my plan for the last three years. Now, I went to the pension company, and I keep getting a runaround, and I went to my HR department. Is there some agency that I can contact to file a complaint? So you have a defined benefit plan uh, where they're going to give you so much per month once you no. retire, or a defined, a separate defined contribution plan, uh, like a cash balance plan. A cash balance plan. Okay. And as of January first, they told us they're not going to make no contributions, but for the last three years, I didn't get no contributions. And I can't get no answers. Yeah. It, is there? Yes, some? there is. 
So, so on your statement, uh, the, um, and with the disclosure documentation that you've received in the past, uh, there should be a number there where all of those cash balance plans, pension plans are all regulated by the Department of Labor. Uh, and you have the right to receive information about your plan, and you can call them. Uh, and also on that number on your plan document that you have your statement, um, you can also talk to somebody there um, to request information and to file a complaint if you need to. So you do have rights towards that. All right. Now, when you say the statement, I have to go online to the company and all it shows is what my cash balance is. You're saying there's a phone number in that information? Yeah, have they ever given you uh, in the past a paper statement? I mean, or... Or is there somewhere online where you can pull up uh, an annual statement? A lot of times if you have online access, you can still pull up the statement. It's just in a different area than kind of the home page where you see the, the actual balance. I guess I've been only going to the home page. Yeah. So do what Tyler recommended. If, if you haven't saved any prior um, annual statements that they may have actually given you in the mail, if now everything is online, uh, you still should be able to um, print off, uh, let's say, an annual statement of your benefits. Uh, typically on there, there's a disclosure documentation uh, that you're required to get um, periodically that uh, outlines your rights uh, to that plan and the responsibilities of the employer to that plan. Uh, you're entitled to certain disclosure information about your plan uh, because it is because you are a beneficiary of that, and there should be either online uh, or on that paper statement that you can print off a number there that you can contact, which would be a de- depart- division of the Department of Labor. Okay. All right. Thank you. You have a nice day. Thank you. Good luck to you. If you have more questions or want us to give a second opinion on anything you find out, please feel free to give our folks a call off the air. Thank you. Thanks, Chuck. And again, the number off the air is 412-434-0999. Let's go to Anne from the North Hills. Good morning, Anne. Hi to you. Hi. I wanted a few to explain what are qualified charitable distributions. Okay. Uh, So a qualified charitable distribution is a donation uh, to one of your charities uh, that the money comes directly out of your IRA if you are over 70 and a half. So if you're under 70 and a half, uh, while you could make uh, a transfer from the IRA, you don't get any special tax treatment. But if you're 70 and a half and older, uh, you can use, and it qualifies for your required minimum distribution, you can have uh, money transferred directly to your charity, and that money goes tax-free to the charity. Okay. And does that have to be done by your financial institution, or can that happen if I just write a check? No, you can't write a check, because if you take money out of your IRA into your checking account, and then you write the check then that falls, follows the traditional rules where that has to then be included on your Schedule A for itemized deductions. So you have to have your financial okay. institution do it directly. Now, from a practical standpoint, uh, what's going to happen and is that they're going, that or they should, um, they should send the check to you. Now, when you get the check, 
it's made payable to XYZ Charity, uh, and then you can then give it to the right person or mail it into the right department. Um, okay. But the check will be issued by your financial institution, and then you need to keep good records of that because the IRS has not updated any of their tax forms so that at the end of the year, like right now, um, probably in January, February, you received a 1099 for for your distributions in 2017. There's no place on that 1099 to say that some of the money went to charity. They just make sure that you took the full amount out, whether it went to your checking account or to the charity. So you just need to let your accountant know that if you do one of those for this year, you want to let them know next year when you do your 2018 tax return that a certain amount of that money went direct to charity. But, you know, um, even as we had an earlier caller um, before, it's always better um, to do it direct from the IRA, from the IRA than from your Schedule A. You will always get a better benefit by doing a charitable distribution from your IRA. So then, is there, you just tell your financial institution, would they make, no, you said they would send the check to me, right. but I would tell them to what charity I was sending it. That's correct. So let's just say that you want to give $1,000 to the Salvation yeah, Army. Say like to your church. Yep, or to your church, and, and so you'll have a form to fill out to give them permission to write that check to your church, and then they'll send the okay. check to you, and then you hand it in to your... Okay. Just the same way okay. you would write the I check. thank you. That, that's what I needed to know. Sounds good. And a good job on your show. Well, thank you very much. Very interesting. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ann, for the call. We have about a, a minute and a half till break, so... Um, I don't think we want to get to another caller just yet, but Kurt, um, I do have a quick question, a quick dollar bank instant access question about a 30-year-old investing in their company's 401k. Um, they have a long time to invest and would like to have this grow as much as possible till retirement. Can you can you give them a, a kind of a general sector allocation for someone in their third early 30s looking to, to save for retirement in their 401k? Uh, sure. And so... Uh, with most 401ks today, one of the benefits is that uh, most of them will have target date funds. And for a 30-year-old, uh, probably a 2055 target date would be a very good place to begin. And you could evaluate the allocation within that. You're probably going to find out that virtually all of it will be in equity because of the long time frame. Right. Uh, there always there also will probably be uh, 20 to 30 percent will be international with a heavy weight towards emerging markets. And so on the surface, it'll look fairly uh, a growth oriented, which is what you want for a 30 to 35 t- year time horizon. And again, that's not the end, it's just the beginning of that next retirement phase. So I would start there and I would use that allocation. You know, If you wanna do your own a la carte mixing, take that as a framework. And then if you wanna pick and choose some of the ones that match it, you could do it that way. Great, thank you for the answer, Kurt. We are coming up against a break, we'll be right back. It's Your Money and You, sponsored by Heffron Tillotson, celebrating over a quarter of a century of broadcasts exclusively on KDKA. Welcome back to Heffron Tillotson's Your Money and You. My name is Tyler Valeno, and I'm here with Kurt Carlson as the host for today's show. And Kurt, we have some phone lines open, but we also have a couple people waiting for 
uh, us to answer some questions. So let's go straight to the phones, and we'll go to Bob from Monroeville. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Kurt. Hi, Bob. Hey, I'm looking possibly at six different stocks that I'd like your opinion on. I'll probably buy three of the six. Okay. But um, And the first one would be General Electric, now that it seems to be down so very low. And Warren Buffett said if it got any lower, he would consider buying the whole company. Why don't you give me the other five, and then I'll try and tell you oh, what's through. Oh, surely. Yeah, Twitter. Okay. Exxon, Kroger, General Mills, and Apple. All right. Well, um, you have a very diverse um, allocation, which is good. Um I think uh, I'm a little partial towards some of the companies that I think actually uh, make things and are fundamental to our economy. So uh, I would probably, with the um, you know the oil stocks have kind of bounced around here a little bit. Good dividend. Uh, I put I would put Exxon in there. Uh, I think when you look at uh, a company like Apple, uh, with its just uh, huge brand presence, uh, the cash that it generates uh, and this cash flow um, while the stock is increased from a valuation standpoint it's pretty attractive long-term growth so I would choose Apple over a Twitter um, I, I think Twitter's got some issues you know um, you know they've you know we've had some recent uh, news uh, on Facebook this past week and not that the market went down because of Facebook but it certainly didn't help matters with understanding social media, understanding privacy. Uh, and it just got, I think, people curious as to some of the social media stocks and industries in general. So Twitter you know, is going to rely on outside companies advertising on their space because the users of Twitter essentially don't pay for that service uh, the same way that the users of Facebook don't pay. Um, you know, once someone has to pay for things, they found out they move on to something else uh, because we've seen the Internet as a free place uh, to get information. So I would avoid uh, Twitter. Um, uh, but I and uh, so I would have Exxon. I would have Apple. Um, I, I'm, I'm still unsure about GE. I understand, you know, I mean, it's it's dropped so low um, sometimes, you know, buying a falling sword still can cut you. So uh, I, I would just, you know, I'd probably put that in my back pocket and uh, maybe once Warren Buffett buys it, you know, probably will get a pop. Uh, but I would follow Warren Buffett on that. Don't try to buy before him, buy him after. Uh, so then you're back to Kroger and General Mills. Um, I would probably, uh, I would probably head with General Mills over Kroger. Um Kroger, I think, is uh, is in the news along with, I believe, Target, uh, trying to uh, do some sort of a joint venture uh, or acquisition. Yeah, supposedly they were going to, uh, and the rumors I had heard was that Target was going to buy right. Kroger. Yeah. So, I, I mean, and that's part of the whole um, Amazon, Whole Foods, um, you know, and that, that space has always been so tough, um, you know, but I think, you know, people kind of buy general mills is one where uh i believe most people will buy their products and half the time the consumer doesn't even know that they're buying general mills they go to the shelf they buy their favorite cheerios they buy their favorite cereal they buy their favorite product you know kids like it 
mom and dad are going to buy, what the kids are going to eat. They put it in the grocery cart. So of the three that you mentioned, I would do Exxon, I would do General Mills, and I would do Apple. Why has General Mills dropped so much lately? Do you have any idea? Uh, commodity prices. I, I think the concern is just uh, pricing. Um, you know the the cost of man. You know the cost of goods. Um, but I think that you know if you have uh, pricing pressures that impact some of the manufacturers, I don't know how that doesn't also put some pressure on something like a Kroger. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, of the stocks that you mentioned now, are there something maybe better than General Mills? Probably, you know, but of the six that you gave me, you know, those would be my three. Uh, I don't want listeners to say those are my top three picks. I'm just picking the three <laughs> that you gave me. OK, right. Well, I, I have a, uh, uh, let's say, an expanded portfolio of other stocks. These were just some ones that I was looking at to add to what I already have. Yeah. Uh, that was the idea behind that. But uh, thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. And I've only been listening to Jim, I think, for 21 years or 22 <laughs> years now. Well, thank you for your dedicated listenership. Yeah, we certainly well, appreciate I'm, I'm old, so yeah. that's the other reason. Yeah, well, I so am I. <laughs> We certainly appreciate it, Bob, and, and I would say that uh, we do have our uh, analysts coming in the weekend of April 8th, um, so that'll be a good opportunity to ask some individual stock questions as well. Um, you know, it, it's nice to, to get that opportunity every once in a while. That's why we bring those guys in. That's uh, who we go to when we have some questions. So thanks for the question. Uh, let's move on to Ron from Shadyside. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, gentlemen. Hi, Ron. I have a question. I Looking at my RMD, and I really don't need the cash, I, uh, I was thinking I, I got the noble energy, I have it in my regular portfolio and my IRA. Now, it's a little bit down from where I bought it. Uh, would it be, I uh, would we'll say, smart to take my, R R my RMD and slide it, the noble, what I have in my IRA, into my personal account? So that way in the future, if I stay under 25% tax, it would still be tax uh, capital gain free. Absolutely. So um, even though I'm not a huge advocate personally of owning individual stocks in an IRA, that's just my personal philosophy. I know many people do that. And so one of the things uh, from a strategic standpoint with required minimum distributions, Ron, is exactly what you just mentioned, that if whether it's market related or whether it's stock related, if there's a pullback in that company stock and it's one that you want to own anyways, transferring that out in kind from your IRA, because you have to do it anyways, into your personal account is a great move to make uh, because two things are going to happen once it goes there. Either A, uh, your analysis is going to prove right, and that stock is going to rebound, and then you're not forced to ever sell it. But if you do sell it, it's capital gain rate versus ordinary income. Or two, your analysis is wrong, and then it goes to zero, and then you have a loss, but at least you get to write off the loss, whereas you don't get to write off any loss inside your IRA. So you have sort of a win-win scenario in one sense. Um, that at least you you know have a better um, plan tax plan than what you currently have. As a new uh, tax uh, bill, 
the uh, capital gains still stay the same for 25% and under under 25%. Um, I don't know what what the percentage would be today with the new tax uh, rate. Uh, the, the new tax uh, rates are exactly the same as before. So up to a certain level, it's capital gain. Long-term capital gain is 0%. And uh, then yes, they kept it then. They did. And then up to a fairly high level, it's still 15. And then only when you get into the higher brackets will it go up to 20. And then over, I believe, 250000 of uh, adjusted gross income, then you get into the Affordable Care Act surcharge, which was 3.8%. And so at the highest level... Uh, of capital gain, you're you're right around 24 uh, percent. There's no discount for int- uh, dividends and interest. Uh, interest is um, uh, still ordinary income, um, but I do believe you get some benefits under the uh, qualifying dividends. Uh, but the capital gain rates, uh, those stayed the same. That sounds great. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Okay, thanks, have a good holiday. Thank you. You too. Thanks for the question, Ron. We are going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Your Money and You, sponsored by Heffron Tillotson, celebrating over a quarter of a century of broadcasts exclusively on KDKA. All right, don't forget Coons Market Black and Gold Sunday show coming up right after the news at 11. But right now, back to Kirk Carlson and for Jim Meredith and Tyler Villano. It is Heffron Tillotson's Your Money and You, Mr. Villano. Thank you, Rob. And the phone lines are open. We do have a couple slots. The number in the studio, 866-391-1020. That's 866-391-1020. That will connect you with Kurt and I if you have any questions you'd like us to answer on the air. But before we get back to the phones, let's go with a dollar bank instant access question. And this question states, I opened a health savings account five years ago when I had a high deductible insurance plan. I no longer have that plan. I now have Affordable Care Act insurance with only a $100 deductible. How can I withdraw the remaining $1,100 from the HSA account with no penalty? I don't have enough qualified yearly medical expenses to withdraw from the account without going below their minimum required balance of $1,000. I'm only 61 years old. Is this account treated with IRA-type rules? Do I need to wait until I'm 65 to withdraw? Thank you. All right. And so a lot of things in there. And, and in case I forget, um, you know, HSAs, health savings accounts, because of the rise in high deductible health insurance plans have become uh, more prevalent and they are very useful. Uh, if you have one, you should contribute to it. Uh, and if you want more information, uh, you can always call our folks off the air. Um, we have a nice uh, piece that they can provide you uh, about the pros and cons, but mainly pros on how health savings accounts works. Um, essentially, uh, you know, the money does not have to come out right now. So even though uh, she has a new plan, she can leave it there. Uh, even though right now she does not have a, a cost um, out of pocket for $1,100. Um, unfortunately, um, in the ensuing years, she will end up at some point sure. having a cost that's not covered by insurance. Um, and so um, she will be able to use it. So my recommendation is even though right now it follows the IRA rules, she could take the money out and use it for whatever, but you would then pay taxes on it. Um, and so taking it out tax-free to her question will be for medical expenses. I would leave it there. 
Uh, it would be unlikely over the next uh, three, five, ten years that there's not some part, whether it's now, before Medicare, or post-Medicare, that there won't be an expense uh, that is that large, um, routinely dental, eye, vision. You know, there's a whole host of things that uh, sadly are very costly. And so my recommendation is leave it there. Wait for that big ticket item that's going to come in, and you'll be glad that you had that $1,100. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And then there's just close always, it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's always expenses that come up, especially, um, you know, when you're getting close to retirement, that, that becomes one of the larger uh, potential expenses you have, uh, larger unknowns that you have. So it's always good to have a little money in the back pocket to say, hey, I, I, I can cover this. So right. I think that makes sense. But again, you can call our advisors off the air to get that uh, little tip that we have. We, we do do some white papers on, on different subjects. I'm sure we have one on the HSA accounts. So give them a call off air 412-434-0999. Again, we have Ari Goldberg and Joe Yezovich today. And again, the number 412-434-0999. So let's go back to the phones, Kurt. And we have Walt from Youngstown. Good morning, Walt. Hi, how are you? Good, Walt. We're good. Good morning. Uh, just to follow up on those 30, 60, 90-day treasuries you were talking about. Yes. Uh, where do you get those? Uh, through the bank? No, you... Um uh, you can either uh, get them through your uh, advisor, through your financial institution, or you can go right online through Treasury Direct. And so you can just go ahead and you set up an account, uh, and then you can uh, buy them right online. Is there a charge for that? Um, to buy those so much for a thousand? You know, nah, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty minimal, if anything. So uh, hmm. yeah. I would not worry about the cost, whether you do it through your financial advisor or you do it uh, Treasury uh, Direct. Um, you know, it's, it's minimal to nothing, so uh, very efficient. Oh, okay, very good. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the question, Walt. Let's go now to Nick in Cranberry. Good morning, Nick. How you doing? Good, Nick. I love the show. Thanks. Thank question. You. This thing with the president, the tariffs, everything that's going on the overseas, should we – on the market, should we be buying right now because the stocks are low, or should we still stay on the sidelines for a while? Uh, I think if you're a long-term investor, um, you know, I would be certainly looking to add to the portfolio. If you've been waiting for something, uh, you know, to uh, to impact the markets, to give you a discount, you know, right now uh, from the highs that we had in January, you know, we're at an over a 10% discount right now, um, and so. You know, I think adding some here is certainly uh, fine. Wouldn't surprise me if it gets a little bit cheaper here over the next uh, couple weeks. Um, you know, who knows how long some of this uh, uh, tit for tat is going to go back and forth. Uh, you know, there's been some commentary that this is more of a trade spat than a trade war as they're trying to just sort of, uh, you know, throw out different things to see, you know, who's going to blink first and, and how this is going to play out. So I think that you know, if you're a long-term investor, um, no reason why you can't add some money here. And I would say, okay. you know, we're still a little bit above the lows we hit back in, in early February. And it's it's very common to kind of have this W shape in the market where we retest the lows we hit back in, in February. And I would mention that, you know, Tariffs aren't a new thing. This isn't something that, that we never or rarely see. We, we did see um, targeted tariffs from Presidents Reagan, George W. Bush, and, and, and Obama. They, they all actually implemented targeted tariffs with, with really little uh, notice from financial markets. So as long as it doesn't turn into a, an all-out trade war, which um, 
certainly we, we hope it doesn't, um, I, I don't think it's going to have a long, long-lasting effect on the markets. Okay, if, but if it does get really nasty, well, they, like, like my 401k took a big, big hit. This thing is, this thing goes on for maybe another, another uh, six months, and it gets really nasty. What are you feeling there? Well, the market drops, you know, another maybe thousand, two thousand points. What are you thinking there? If it got real nasty. Uh, typically, if you look back in time, uh, when you, when your definition of nasty is, that has always been the best time to invest. So, okay. uh, so I mean, if you're you know if you're a long term investor, then on one hand you're you're you. In, in a weird way, you're hoping for times like these uh, where the perceived professionals who are looking more for the day-to-day, um, you know, they're giving you an opportunity to buy in. They're not looking long-term. They're looking short-term. And sort of if, if you think about it, it's sort of like the ocean. Uh, the ocean has a lot of water, but the majority of what we see is just the top with the waves. So you could have a calm ocean or you could have huge swells. But if you were to scuba dive and go down 50 feet, it doesn't matter what happens on the surface. Uh, you know, so the majority of the ocean is unaffected by the weather on top. But that's what we see, you know, when we look at the ocean. And so we forget that the majority of investing is not made up by what happens day to day in the marketplace. And so when you see something that's quote unquote nasty, that means somebody has taken risks that they can't afford. They have to sell. And then you as a long term investor get to come in. And while it's unfortunate for them, it's a benefit to you. You can buy it at a 10, 20 percent discount. Um, and so if you're nervous about your account going down in your 401k, uh, I'm more concerned that maybe your allocation is not right for where you need to be. That's a bigger decision than what do you do for six months. Okay. Just to, I would thank you for your help. Just I listen to you every week. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Good question. Certainly uh, we appreciate it, and, and certainly uh, there is a lot of news about uh, trade wars and tariffs and things like that going can, on. Yeah, it can get scary, but we have to try to make sense of the headlines and then look to the fundamentals, and that's why having a plan and a strategy for what you do, why you do it, it, you can always come back to something that's grounded. And if you don't know what you're coming back to and if you don't know why you have what you have, then that could be a problem. Okay, we have about two minutes left, so we're going to go to Jen from Butler and see if we can squeeze her in. Squeeze her in. Good morning, Jen. Hi. Yes, I have a 1099 for my mutual funds, and um, on there is qualified dividends, ordinary dividends, and capital gains. Mm -hmm. What are these, and why do I have to pay income tax on these? Okay, so you must have a an investment account either with a mutual fund company or with a or with a brokerage firm, and so at the end of last year or during the course of 2017, your investments had dividends, and at the end of the year, probably paid a capital gain. So even though they may not have sent them to you. They probably reinvested them. Uh, from a taxation standpoint, it doesn't matter whether they reinvested them or whether they sent them to you and you turned right around and sent them back. That's a taxable event. And so in the top right-hand part of your 1099, it's going to list all of those items for you. And so capital gain distributions are taxed uh, at capital gain rates. And so if you're, are you doing uh, this on TurboTax or are you doing this longhand? Um, longhand. Ooh, good luck. Um, so you're going to have some extra worksheets to go through, but um, so 
Capital gains will be then shifted over to a separate worksheet, and based upon your adjusted gross income, it could be taxed either at zero or at 15 or at 20%. And then dividends, either qualified or non-qualified, will have a different uh, tax structure. And so you just have to play around on the worksheets, but unfortunately, you will have to pay taxes on them. Thank you, Jen. Kurt, we have about 30 seconds. Can you just explain why a mutual fund may pay a capital gain? So a capital gain is paid. Typically, it's posted at the end of the year. And based upon the buys and sells that happen within a mutual fund during the course of the year by the portfolio managers, at the end of the day, their net profits that they make are distributed to the shareholders. Thank you, Kurt. We are going to head to a quick break. We'll be right back. Well, we've reached the end of another show. We'd like to thank all of today's callers and apologize to those folks we were unable to get to today. If you still have questions, our advisors are standing by off the air. The number for them, 8412-434-0999. This week we have Ari Goldberg and Joe Yezovich. That's also the same number. You can reach any Heffron Tillotson advisor throughout the week for a no-cost obligation review of your situation. We invite everyone to join us next Sunday and every Sunday here on KDK Radio. Thank you. Your Money in You is an informational program sponsored by Heffron Tillotson. The information featured is intended solely to further the public's general knowledge of finance and investments. The opinions expressed are based on limited knowledge of specific cases as described by the caller and should not be relied upon for any purpose by any member of the audience. Individual questions of a financial or investment nature should always be referred to your personal financial advisor. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.